friends, it's a new year and another year without a national championship. Boo-hoo-hoo. But, man, was that game one for the ages. We're going to break it down with the scheme master himself. Dr. Kyle Jones joins us in this special edition of the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy Vance, along with my partner in crime, Johnny Ginner. We all watched it New Year's Eve. We missed the ball dropping so that we could see Ohio State come within a field goal, within a point of winning a college football playoff semifinal. Johnny, let's start with you because I know you have got some screeching hot takes burning to get off the chain. I only think it's a hot take if people disagree with me, which I know like almost nobody does. Yeah, nobody disagrees with you on this. How are you feeling about this game, my friend? I'm mad and I'm mad that I'm going to have to like, I, you know, I love talking about with you guys. That's great. But again, I talked about this after the Michigan game. I'm going to go into work and I'm going to see the next time I see anybody that I know, like, for the for the next probably like month because it's I know a lot of people and I don't always see them. It's the first thing that's going to come up and I'm going to have to rehash it every single time and I'm just going to get mad every single time. And it's not you know I said before the the Georgia game like I'm, I'm gonna be cool with it if I say lose whatever this is great because Michigan lost so screw those guys I'm glad they don't get a national championship and I would have been if the game played out the way I thought it was. But then Ohio State was right there, and we're going to get into it with Kyle and whatnot. But, like, my biggest thing about this man is that it's been a year, right? Jim Knowles has had his hand on this defense for a year, and they've improved in some ways. But I got to tell you something. I've, I've, I've come with the receipts. They have not improved in some very important ways, and that's the kind of stuff that prevents you from going to a national championship game. That's the kind of stuff that prevents you from winning a Big Ten championship, and that's the kind of stuff that prevents you from beating Michigan. So – you know, I love the way Ryan Day came out in this game. I mean, his his whole game plan, the way he approached it, chef's kiss. Mwah, loved it. I mean, he basically said the running game's stupid. We've got the best wide receiver in America. Let's just throw it to him 100 times. That's what everybody wanted to do, and it worked out great until he got concussed. Um, but defensively, man, I just – I look at it, and I'm like, they've – it looks like they've got an idea of what they're doing, but it just seems so inconsistent that there's no way they're going to be able to beat really good teams when it counts. And you saw that repeatedly, not repeatedly, but I guess repeatedly is twice. You saw it twice at the end of the season and um, it's frustrating. Kyle Jones. Uh, thanks for joining us on the Dubcast. This maybe will be a little different than the traditional uh, post-mortem in that I think we have, have some good things to talk about along with the less good things, but give us your top two or three takeaways from this college football semifinal game. What did, uh, what did you see? What jumped off the page? Yeah, this, this does feel different from some of the times I've come on after losses. It, I, I don't have the same, uh, uh, you know, autopsy feel, coming out of this game, although there are certainly a lot of things to look at. You know, I I think you're looking at two completely different stories, depending on which side of the ball we're talking about with Ohio State's performance. Because offensively, you know, I I do want to make sure that we we recognize like that 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 performance from CJ Stroud was absolutely special. It was You know, it was one of the best games I've ever seen from not just an Ohio State quarterback, but from a college quarterback. The way he eluded pressure, the way he moved in the pocket, the way he moved receivers. I mean, the first two touchdowns alone were almost like middle fingers to all the draft Knicks who had been, you know, or even Ohio State fans who had been saying CJ can't do X, Y, and Z. You know, there was this narrative that came out which I I didn't totally understand 
where what it was grounded in this idea of like oh you pressure CJ he and you you know you know he, he's he doesn't do well with that and you have to pressure him because he doesn't do well off schedule and they you know use all these NFL terms and it seemed like people didn't really understand what they were saying and that's not at all the player that showed up you know in Atlanta the other night this was a guy who understood where pressure was coming from he understood where he had room to go I thought uh, the right side of the offensive line while we're talking about it was spectacular. I thought both of the Jones boys, I think maybe we saw it just as we saw in a lot of other phases with this team, injuries probably diminished what they could do um, during the second half of the year. And that, that was part of the reason they maybe didn't look great at times, but I thought Matt Jones was spectacular um, a lot, a number of times when he, he was one-on-one with Jalen Carter Dewan just stoning guys um, on that right side. And, you know, Paris Johnson gave up one sack, but otherwise, um, you know, I thought they did a really good job. And then when there was pressure, which usually came in the form of a blitz, you know, Georgia really had to send extra pressure to get to him, send extra rushers. And CJ did a great job of recognizing it, moving around, and then finding the guy downfield. Um, you know, the first touchdown, he moves. Marvin with his hand points, Hey, break to the right. And sure enough, there's wide open room. He throws a 40 yard dart that lands right between the one and the eight. The second one, he's scrambling up. There's not a lot of room in the back corner of the end zone. It almost looked like the corner gave up. So obviously great play for Marvin not to give up, but an unbelievable throw. And so, you know, CJ really, really, really played his tail off. And a lot of that was scheme and, you know, they called a great game. I think they did a good job of recognizing where there had been tendencies and they broke them and what Georgia thought was coming. They didn't show it in a lot of ways with a lot of the past schemes and even some of the protections. I thought were, it looked like they were new. Um, but the reality is, is, you know, the execution, at least from the quarterback spot and, and just in the passing game in general, was unbelievable. You know, they really didn't even try to run the ball that much. Georgia knew what was coming and Georgia – this is Georgia, right? Who we put on us, you know, we put up and we say the best defense and Kirby Smart's a genius and he's got 200 analysts and blah, 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 blah. And it's nothing but first round draft picks. Well, none of those guys could stop Ohio State's passing game until Marvin got hurt. That says something right there. So that's my first takeaway. Uh, my second takeaway is this is a safety driven defense and the safeties did not really show up in this no. game. And that really kind of tells you the story of what happened with Ohio state, other units, other parts of the defense, I think played well, the defensive line largely did a good job against the run. I thought, um, you know, you'd like to see them get a little bit more pressure, but in large, by and large, you know, they did a pretty good job, but Georgia's got a good offensive line. It was a pretty good, good, well-fought battle there. Um, the linebackers did a good job against the run. The corners may have played their best games of the season, frankly, outside of Burke giving up that last, that late touchdown. Um, Cam Brown, finally healthy. You know, we're sensing a theme here. He played, made some plays, but the safeties, man, it was, it was tough to watch in, in, in real time. And it was brutal watching the second time around. I mean, it was missed tackles in the run game. It was missed fits against the run. It was bad, you know, recognition when you're in zone coverage late. Looks like they didn't realize what was happening. And then, of course, you know, the ironic part is where they were their best was in man coverage for most of this game. 
but it's also a man coverage where Ransom fell down and gave up that super long touchdown that, that really changed the game. So, you know, I, I think we got a lot to talk about with the future of the program, but I think when we look at this game, it was two totally different stories based off of, you know, which side of the ball you're looking at. So my biggest thing with all of this as I'm going through, and I want to start, I guess, in a macro kind of view, and then we can maybe talk about the game specifically. But, you know, one of the things that I think people might look at and they would say, okay, well, Ohio State, you know, defensively has improved statistically, you know, from year to year, and that's fine. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to look in the stats a little bit because it doesn't feel like that. <laughs> like, I, you may, you may see that show up you know, against like, I don't know, you know, when you're playing in September against the, the the cupcakes of your schedule and things like that, but against ranked opponents. All right. So right now, Ohio state, well, not right now, it's the end of the season, the end of the season against ranked opponents. All right. So if you're talking about total defense, total yards per game, given up high state was 60, uh, 62nd in the country. They gave up 450 yards against their ranked opponents this season and 2021. Okay. Ohio State was 57th in the country. They gave up 420 yards. So they got worse. They got measurably worse, statistically measurably worse in red zone, opponent red zone conversions, right? They got, they also got worse. They got statistically worse against their, against their ranked opponents Um, in scoring defense, right? Against ranked opponents. They gave up about 30, what I think about 33 points. Yeah. I'm looking at 33 points. Uh, per game and uh, about 33 points per game in 2021, 2022, about 33 points per game. So I guess what I'm saying is, is that, yes, I think maybe schematically they, they have a coherent idea of what they're trying to do. And against teams where they have totally superior talent uh, that shows up, but I don't see, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, is that my biggest concern is that even if they have, you know, great talent and things like that. Um, I feel like this defense can get got. And and that's the, really the problem that I, I see right now is that yep. like, it doesn't like, I know they're not going to give up 40 points every game. And I know that there's going to be an improvement, but like, I don't know how this team gets from where they are now to a legitimate, like top 10 defense against the teams, the really tough teams on their schedule. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a fair question. Although I, I think, the blame is, is being put on Knowles and people asking, is he the right fit? And I, I think that might be looking in the wrong area. And I want to be delicate with how I say this. Okay. Because I, I hate, you know, we just saw this. I, we're seeing with the no, no Ruggles. I don't want to be the guy saying this, this kid stinks because I don't think that they, there's a lack of talent, but it doesn't seem like there's a right fit for the guys they have at safety for with what they're being asked to do. Um, like Ronnie Hickman's going to play in the NFL. He's going to be an NFL player. It'll probably be a, a day two, maybe, maybe a day two, probably day three draft pick. And he's going to play in the NFL. You know what he's not going to do in the NFL is play free safety. Like it's just not going right. to be what the NFL says. Yeah. That's what this guy does best. No, they're not going to ask him to do that. They're going to put him down in the box as, as a strong safety, basically replacing a linebacker. He's going to, he's, they're not going to ask him to do that. I, I think Lathan Ransom, you know, he can, he's, he probably needs to be the free safety because that's where he seems most confident, but he doesn't need to be manning up in the slot against 
you know, big cor- against, you know, fast wideouts. He's not good. He's not the right guy to be filling the B gap and trying to tackle McIntosh, um, you know, down below the knees. Like, it's just not, that's not the right fit. Um, you know, I, I think Ransom and, and, and Tanner McAllister, who I thought was pretty good for the first part of the year, you know, really struggled at times, especially against the run. And you could tell the difference when it was, Hey, this isn't Rutgers run game. This is, this is Georgia's run game. These are NFL caliber players, you know, may, being able to step in and make that tackle is a different task. And so I say that to say that what this defense is supposed to look like is not what it's looking like. And I, I don't mean that just from a results standpoint. I mean that from a, process standpoint you know the safeties need to be flying around and an example you know we talked about this before we started recording like look at tcu safety guys like those guys are flying around think about that first pick six strong safety jumps an out route on the slot turns it you know returns it for six when was the last time you saw an ohio state safety play like that honestly how long, well, how long does it take to get there? I mean, I, you know, with the transfer portal, obviously all yeah. things are possible, but like with the guys that they've signed recruiting wise, the guys that are on the, on the roster now, I mean, it, are you going to see an appreciable difference in that, you know, within the next year or two? Well, I think that goes to, are you recruiting for a specific style of play? And I think we have turned recruiting into, you know, a math question, which it's absolutely not. Right. Like this, this is the thing. This is the, the TCU question of like, it's not just, you know, where, what's the ranking and add it all together. Cause otherwise, right. you know, Texas A&M would be amazing and they were terrible. So, you know, like it's a question of what specifically do these guys have skill set standpoint? What are they being brought in and asked to do? And frankly, too, you look at the development of the existing secondary, they've had, three coordinators, four, depending on how you think about the, the Combs, Matt Barnes situation, right. In three years. So, or in four years, I'm sorry, with, you know, Halfley to Combs, Barnes, and now Knowles, you've got four different styles that basically they've been having to learn on the fly. And there's not a lot of positive development that's going to go on during that point. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a way of basically saying, who are we recruiting? Are they coming in and learning this system? and progressing and getting it. And I say all this to say, let's remember Jim Knowles' first year at all the places he's been before. It wasn't exactly night and day in year one. It took him a couple of years, right? In that, you know, the, the Oklahoma state defense last year, that was so good. That was a very senior laden defense. It was guys that had been with him for four years. That's what it might take for this defense to get to an elite level. Now, the good news is, and let's zoom out, the good news is they're playing opposite an offense that is one of, if not the best in the nation every year. So they don't have to be elite. They just have to be good enough, right? And so that's really the the balance that, you know, I think not only the staff has to play, but just fans in general should recognize. This defense doesn't need to be a top five team at their defense at the end of the year. It just needs to be good enough. Jones, as I was looking at, you know, the box score specific to the defense, and we were talking about the running game, Georgia only rushed for 135 yards, which I mean, mean, it's a lot, sure. But when we think about Georgia running the ball down Ohio State's throat, like that surprised me. You know, they did average 
uh, about six yards a carry when you looked at sack adjusted yardage. But to me, it was that, you know, that passing game uh, that really ate them up when they're averaging 17 yards of completion. But I looked again, you know, Georgia was only two for 10 on third down conversions. Like it felt like this defense was in it, even though they got scorched a few, a few times. Like, I guess I'm one that looks at this and I, and I felt like they're a lot better than they were a year ago. Am I, am I nuts or am I just being a Pollyanna or, or I think they are, oh, they, yeah, I, you're right. I, I, I think the numbers lie in both situations where the numbers from last year were, you know, cushioned by a lot of really soft competition in the middle of the year where they looked better, where they just, the talent won out. And I do think this defense is better because I think a lot of the, it's a big play defense where it's one mistake. Whereas last year it was systemic, right? It was four guys are in the wrong position. That's why that's, that's why they scored a touchdown this year. It's one guy fell down, one guy missed a tackle. And so it's a lot more technique and execution based than it is scheme in my opinion this year around. Um, and, and your point, Georgia didn't run the ball. And I'm glad you brought this up because this is one of the more interesting chess matches I thought that happened. You know, OSU looked really good when Georgia was playing that, you know, double tight ends, which is what we all talked about. What we oh, all my God, that was talked about all week long, right? Yeah. Was that those tight yeah. ends were going to smoke Ohio State. And guess what? I mean, Bowers made a couple plays. Don't get me wrong. A couple plays that weren't really mattered. Yeah. But, like, he's not the reason that you know, Ohio state lost the game. He didn't just absolutely destroy Ohio state in both phases. Um, you know, Washington was basically neutralized because I think they had a really good game plan for, this is how we're going to handle that 12 personnel, those two tight end sets, especially on first and second down, we're going to win first and second down Ohio state is on defense because we know what to expect. We know what we're, what we think is coming at us. And what happened was actually, I think the Washington injury actually helped Georgia in a weird way because it forced them to play a lot of stuff that Ohio state clearly was not prepared for. I mean, Georgia turned into a super spread team, mm -hmm. which is not, you know, people will not remember this. They won't say that it'll be like, Oh, Georgia's a power run team. They won last, you know, that game because they turned into a super spread team. They were running five wide. They're running four wide. They're playing 11 personnel. They're throwing the slot guy deep. You know, like this is they're throwing bubble screens. They're throwing, you know, shooting the, the the running back out wide for a designed swing screen. Like that's all old school spread stuff. That's not grounded pound. And that's the game that I think Ohio State was preparing to play was a grounded pound game that was played in between the hash marks, right? Yeah. And instead, they got this wide open game. I don't know why. <clears throat> I mean, it goes to the personnel conversation. Ohio State just stayed in the same personnel all game long. Um, I thought they really did a decent job when Washington was in there. Sonny Styles played a lot. He replaced McAllister as that third safety, and he brought a physicality and a run stuffing to the unit. You know, he was the extra safety in the box with Hickman while Ransom was playing deep. And then for some reason, as as the game went on, you know, even when they were even when Georgia was playing twelve personnel with their third tight end and they're replacing Washington, you know, Knowles started putting McAllister back in. And then they started finding a little bit more success running the ball and that allowed them to throw it. And so it was an interesting chess match at cat and mouse. And, um, you know, Ohio, I don't think Ohio state and, you know, the defense was wrong to plan for, Hey, Georgia's going to run two 12 personnel and be physical. So we have to come up with a plan to stop that, especially coming off what happened in the Michigan game. 
you know, I don't think they were wrong to prepare for it, but what they got, especially in that second half was a totally different scheme. Do you think, I mean, I, I don't want to focus entirely on the defense. Cause I do want to say that I think that Ryan day came up with a pretty incredible game plan on offense and for them to, I mean, it was really like, we've got this incredible quarterback. We've got this all worldwide receiver tried and stop him and Georgia couldn't. So like, that was, I think, kind of impressive, just the balls that he had to go ahead and just do that um, himself. But, you know, like what else was going on on Ohio State's offense to really allow them to be successful? Uh, I love that question because, because basically what it was, one of the things that I, I was happy that they finally started doing this more. They It's kind of been the nuclear option all season long but they really embrace the fact that, Hey, Agbuka is an elite guy himself. And what we're going to do is we're going to put those two guys into the boundary next to each other. And we're going to, you know, spread everybody out. We're going to put the tight end and Julian Fleming up to one side, and we're going to put Agbuka and Harrison into the boundary. And we're going to make you do one of two things as a defense. We're either going to make you pull a third player over into the boundary so that you're so exposed to that wide side of the field. Right. And again, this is the time to remember the hashes are wider in college, which means when you're on the hash, there's way more room to cover to, to the wide side of the field than there is in the NFL. And so that really distorts the defense in one of two ways. It says, all right, you have just declared that you are going to do this thing and double cover, you know, put three over two with two of our best receivers or our, our two best players really. Uh, skill wise. And even then what would happen is it would be three over two, which turns into two, you know, two guys on one of the receivers and one guy on the other. And all CJ is doing is they're running simple route combinations. And he's looking back and saying, okay, which one of these guys has one-on-one because there's not a single DB on that team that can win one-on-one against Marvin or Buka. And that was the bet that they made all game long. I think I think of all the talk and chatter leading up to this game that if everyone said George is the best team in the country, we did this before we got on. When I turned on the film, I was very unimpressed by the Georgia secondary. It was average and not average, but it, it, it was fine is what, what we'll say. There was nobody <laughs> that made me go, wow, that dude is unreal. Jalen Carter. Yeah, man, that dude. Okay. And some of the other guys, even in their defensive front, like those are, problems but nobody in the secondary made me go wow this is going to be a problem and the opposite was true when i'm sure georgia turned on the film and watched ohio state's receivers and they went oh no those dudes are a problem and i think ohio state did a great job of exploiting that you even saw that julian fleming played a heck of a game i thought you know he's really come on the last month his route running was excellent he caught the ball really well he ran well after the catch like that helped so that when you know, they're putting Marvin and Buka into the boundary and you've got Fleming one-on-one to the other side, even if against Keely Ringo is going to be a you know high draft pick Fleming won. Like, do you think, sorry to interrupt. Do you think that's maybe a preview of what next season is going to be like when you don't yeah. have a guy like CJ Stroud under center? Yeah. Like, and then they yeah. have to, I mean, they're really going to have to rely on that talent of the wide receivers to just offset, you know, whatever the, the other defense is going to try to do to Ohio state. Oh, 100%. I mean, this is this is what I was waiting for them to do. And they've, they've kind of done that really over the last three or four years since Day has taken control of the program. They've built this depth at receiver, um, you know, with Wilson, Olave, Smith and Jigba going, you know, go down the line. 
when they've got two or three of those guys on the field, they, you know, against Rutgers, and I, I'm sorry, Rutgers, any Rutgers fans, because I keep picking on you, but, you know, against Indiana, they're going to play a pretty straight-up formation. They're not going to do any of this stuff. They're going to save it for when they really need it, which is this kind of game. Um, and, and I think the game plan that, that they put together, everyone's talking about, like, it wasn't new plays. It's not like they installed a new offense. All they did was they just called the plays that turned Georgia's, you know, this defense that smart runs that Saban built that ever, ever, all the scheme guys and all the coaches obsess over and everyone talks about it. And there's books written about cover seven and yada, 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 yada. And everyone goes nuts for it. Well, it just turns into man at a certain point. It just turns into man to man coverage. If you call the right concept. And that's what they did over and over. As he said, great, you're going to run that. I'm just going to make you go. I'm going to call play so that it's your guy versus my guy. Let's see who wins. It looked to me, Kyle, like, you know, Ryan Day called one of the best games of his career up until that final. Oh, we're going to do this, aren't we? We have to because we're running out of time with you for one thing. But walk me through what Ryan Day, because he, he said very clearly, particularly that first down play, um, when Dallin Hayden takes off and runs it right into the teeth of the defense. And in day said, he didn't regret that call. CJ Stroud you know, chimes in and says, oh yeah, brilliant call. Walk us through how that drive was supposed to play out in Ryan day's head and whether or not that was the right set of calls. Or I, I mean, I was sitting there thinking to myself, my God, why aren't we trying to get this guy into but it felt like they were shooting for the lights instead of trying to get, you know, trestle ball into good field goal position. What, what the hell was going on? So it's going to bring back a, a painful memory when I walk through the thinking, at least as far as I would imagine it, um, you know, based off of what Dave said, what happened on the Donovan Edwards touchdown runs at the end of the Michigan game? What happened? Why, why did Donovan Edwards all of a sudden run 80 yards? Because Ohio state blitzed everybody put everybody yeah. up at the line, got the gap, and all they needed was one crease. Right. Right. Well, we already talked about Georgia hadn't been able to get any pressure to slow down Stroud unless they blitzed. Yeah. The last couple drives, especially once Marvin went out, they started blitzing even more. They were double covering Ibuka at that point, and they started blitzing even more. And – you know, there was, you know, we can talk, you know, well, first off, I, I think everyone's acting like he went super conservative. They still threw the ball two more times. Yeah. You know, like, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. I mean, and if you think about it, Georgia just kept blitzing and kept blitzing. And so because there was time on the clock and because Georgia was blitzing, they blitzed the play before, or I'm sorry, two plays before, because, you know, the, the Stroud scramble, they didn't blitz and he just, basically walked out of the pocket and then picked up 20 yards. So I think it was a fair bet. Okay. Georgia is going to go back to blitzing again. And the guess is we all right, It's first down. Let's try to pull a Donovan Edwards here. You know, it happened to us. Let's try to do it to them. I, I really think that that's the thinking, you know, it's not a bad call when you got 40 some seconds or whatever it was on the clock, you know, um, you know, I don't remember the exact amount of time, but there was enough to run multiple plays. I think, the question is, you know, not why did they run the ball? The question is, how is it that they weren't able to get Egbuka the ball? That's a bigger question in my mind. Yeah. You know, I think they tried to, um, you know, they ran a double slant concept that, 
you know, I, I didn't love because of, you know, or I don't want to say I didn't love. There was a window that CJ didn't take. It would have been slim, but he could have taken it uh, based off of the way that Georgia was blitzing and, you know, who was kind of dropping into coverage. It was an outside linebacker rather than just a, a DB. So there was a window in CJ, whether I don't, I don't know if he couldn't see it, but he just didn't take it um, and ended up throwing to Xavier Johnson. And then the next play, you know, Georgia sent the house and CJ, you know, only had time to get out and throw the ball away. So, you know, I, I don't hate the call. Um, you know, I just, it, of running the ball, I, I wish they could have found a way to get Agbuka, you know, five, six, seven yards, just like we all do. How much did, how much did Bullard going head hunting and taking out Marvin Harrison oh. Jr. change the decision-making from that point on, did you see like a marked difference in what Ryan day was calling with Harrison out then with him in? Uh, it wasn't that no, I, the play calling actually didn't change as far, uh, a lot, at least from what I could tell, you know, at least from a philosophical difference. Um, you know, I, I think in this, this goes, there's a lot of credit. You know, I think I came on here after the mission game and probably made it sound like I, I didn't, you know, want to see Xavier Johnson on the field. Like that dude played his tail off again last night or you know i keep saying last night the other night and you know he played really really well but he's not going to go win one-on-ones against keely ringo the way marvin is right he's not going to go win one-on-ones against these guys and that's what changed it is you know georgia basically had to pick their poison in the first half and there were times where they were just doubling they were doubling Marvin, and that meant Ibuka was wide open because he was one-on-one and he could win. And so it really put Georgia in this can't-win can't situation defensively. And what you saw then after Marvin went out is Georgia said, all right, we're going to make sure two's got two sets of eyes on him at all times. Um, if Fleming beats us, so what? Um, you know, Fleming doesn't run the same kind of routes, you know, that, that Ibuka does and, and even Marvin – um, in terms of the diversity, like the, the the kinds of routes that he runs, his route tree, if you'll if you will, um, and so you know it was basically we know that Fleming's going to be on the sideline over there. He might run a slant, but otherwise it's going to be a vertical route or a deep comeback. So we know how to plan for that, and then we're not really worried about the freshman tight end. No one's worried about him catching the pass. We're not worried about Mitch Rossi catching the pass. So now it's just. Hey, put somebody on Xavier Johnson and everybody else look out for two. And so Ohio State only had 29 yards passing after Marvin got hurt. You know, for the 320 some that came before that in the first three quarters, they only had 29 after that point. It became CJ running the ball. Um, and that's really what changed, I think, the the offense is it it was that you're just running out of outlets and places to go. And that's why CJ started running even more. One of the things that I am curious about, and this is, you know, looking to the future, and I know I know you got to go here soon, but, you know, Ohio State is not going to have CJ Stroud next season. Um, they are lo- losing a number of guys on offense, but I, I think they're getting back a lot of guys that, that make it really interesting. And I think, at least offensively, I mean, we can talk about the defense and, and you know, <laughs> we have problems with the safeties. Well, I, I think that's going to be, you know, those guys aren't going anywhere. So, I mean, some of them are right. Like, you know, Hickman and, and McAllister, they're, they're not, they're, they're not going to be with the team, but you know, some of the guys that I think people griped about will still be around. Um, but offensively, 
I I don't know. I I am at least excited or at least interested in what's going to happen next season, just because it feels like, like I said a little bit earlier, it feels like this is kind of the prototype for what you're going to see in 2023. And, you know, whether it's a guy like McCord or Brown or whoever, you know, kind of, I don't think he's, he's going to be the dude, but you know, they're going to have a lot of options. And does this turn into, I don't want to say like a fun and gun Mike Leach style team, but like, are you going to see a team that's like, you know, 65, 70% passing the ball and then, you know, kind of using the the running game as a, you know, a supplement, but definitely not the featured part. Is that, is that what we're looking for? Or is it Ryan Day still going to try to get balance, balance, balance? I mean, I think we're going to have what we've had for the last four years, yeah. <laughs> which is a team that runs the ball enough to make sure that people have to respect it. But ultimately, I mean, let's look at the way they recruit. Yeah, you know, they built this roster to do exactly what you saw because, you know, it's a competitive advantage, right? You know, what have we been saying for a month? Okay, well, Georgia was built in Alabama's image, right? You know, and, and Michigan, for a lot of what we've said, like, it's a different style, but, like, the physicality-wise is built in that image. Okay, that's fine. You guys are going to play that way. Ohio State's not – they're not going to get the bodies necessarily – or the likelihood of continuing to get the bodies every single year that Georgia and Alabama get on the lines, at least on the defensive line, makes it such that that's not the – that's not a winning formula. The winning formula is go get the best quarterback, develop them, go get unbelievable wide receivers that all want to be first-rounders and then turn them into first-rounders. And then you've got this unbelievable offense here you know, I think I look at the offense and the only thing, the only question mark is, is Kyle McCord, who, uh, you know, I would put odds on probably to win that, to win that job. Is Kyle McCord going to be first team all big 10 or second all big 10? Because they're, you know, the, whoever the quarterback is, it's going to be a very smooth transition just because the guys he's throwing to are going to be so wide open because right. of just how talented they are and who's calling the plays. Though there's the question we need to end on Kyle Jones. Uh, last one for you. We just got done saying that. I mean, really Ryan day called an extremely brilliant game and dialed up a wonderful game plan against Georgia had him in it literally to the last second. And yet the story Monday was that he is, as we all said, he should immediately following the Michigan loss thinking about handing over the sticks in terms of play calling duties to someone to be determined later, whether that is a, a promoted, I'm, we're assuming a promoted offensive coordinator. Uh, is, is this the right thing to do? Uh, and is it just uh, amusing timing that it comes? The discussion starts, you know, 24 hours after he's called this brilliant offensive game plan uh, against a defending national championship caliber football team. I think it is. I think it's okay. It's it's obviously what I said needs to happen. Yeah, we were I, all I think, on board with that. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's it's there's nuance to it that people need to recognize, which is calling plays is not about who literally called picks the play off the sheet and you know says it into the headset so that the guys signal it in. That's not calling. That's not the hard part of calling plays. Calling plays is spending hours during the week coming up with the game plan and watching absurd amounts of film and going through reports from your analysts to figure out what is the answer to the problem being posed by our opponent. 
it's the game planning is the hard part. And then knowing, okay, what is it based on our game plan? What do we want to spend time in practice focused on? What do we need to make sure that we are, is our A plus concept this week? And what are the B plus concepts? Because we might only call them once or twice. That's where all the time goes into. And that's where the time comes away from all the other stuff we talked about that a head coach needs to do, which is culture, recruiting, you know, fundraising in a lot of ways, you know, being the face of the program, it's re-recruiting your current players, managing the portal now and understanding who else is out there. Um, You know, like all of those other things take time. And that's the job of the head coach is to be involved in all of those things. Whereas it's not necessarily the job of the head coach to be the one to figure out, Hey, Rutgers might run an odd front on second down. What should our answer be? Right. And I think that's where the change comes in. We'll probably see Ryan Day holding a a play sheet next year, regardless of whether they announce it or not. And he'll probably be talking to a headset and be very involved, much the same way Nick Saban does not, quote unquote, call plays for the Alabama defense. But he's sure as hell involved in it. But again, he's not the one who's watching every hour of Vanderbilt film you know, the week before the game and saying, all right, in this situation, I want us to have this blitz through the beat gap. And I think that's the evolution of a head coach, right? Is, is being able to give up some of those things to got other guys that are capable of doing it because your attention is needed in other scenarios. It's a leadership exercise more than anything. And, and to put a bow on this, who should that person be? That's going to be taking over that role, who, who do you foresee becoming the offensive coordinator in this program moving forward? I think it's going to be split. And I think there's, and people might say, Oh, it's, you shouldn't have two. You should only have one. It's not like a quarterback situation here. You can put one guy in charge of the run game, Justin Fry, and you can put one game in charge of the passing game, Brian Hartline for years. That's how Ohio state has operated with Kevin Wilson owning the run game and Ryan day owning the pass game. So you've got two very qualified candidates right there who can step in because, you know, I don't know how good of a play caller or game planner Brian Hartline can be, will be, but it's worth investing in him based off of all the other, you know, returns you've gotten on him as a coach and based on all of his experience at the NFL level. Right. So there's two very clear candidates right there on staff that you can say, Hey, this is my philosophy as the head coach. This is what I want my offense to be. You know, and that can be fairly granular, but then you can trust a guy like Justin Fry, who has worked with him at multiple stops, and you can trust Brian Hartline, who's done nothing but positive things as far as we can see since moving into a coaching role. All right, we're going to leave it at that. Thank you, Kyle Jones, as always, for being. Uh, a part of our discussions of what went right and what, unfortunately, more often than not, we've talked about what went wrong. This was a good blend of both. Look forward to uh, talking with you in the off season about where Ohio State goes heading into next year's campaign. And of course, friends, uh, as always, if you are not reading Jones' weekly film study sessions, you are missing out on the best writing about X's and O's in football anywhere, anytime. All right, Johnny, let's uh, let's get into more uh, of of your takes and and mine. Uh, I want to go back to what I thought was a pivotal moment in the game, and that was was the aforementioned injury to Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, to me, clear targeting. Uh, obviously, the targeting rule was was overturned. Uh, did they get the call right? And and to tag on to that. 
How bad in general did it feel like replay officials were yesterday? I thought the officiating on the field was fine, but the replay guys were driving me up the wall. There was a lot. Of, I honestly, I think there were a lot of bad calls on both sides. That that to me wasn't necessarily targeting. I think it was a personal foul because of the the way the guy launched into like you know Marvin's like kind of top you know top part of his body. I didn't see a helmet to helmet, or, or I think he went at his shoulder, but. Um, yeah, I I mean it sucks because he was having a great game. He was he was playing incredibly well. He was the best. Pl- I mean, you know, aside from CJ Stroud, he's the best player on the field. Um, and for him to be taken out with a concussion like that is just, I mean, you, the game really turned on that. And and that's, I know that's a part of football, but it also sucks for the actual game itself. I mean, you just you don't want to see something like that at all. Um, I thought what the, really the other thing about that play, which was insane, is that looked like it was supposed to be a throwaway. And instead, that looked like one of those, you know, <laughs> shots that guys do in the NBA sometimes where they're behind the backboard and it goes in anyway. Like yeah. that's the level of accuracy that that CJ Stroud was working. He threw this insane rainbow pass that had probably about a 45, 50 degree tra- trajectory. And it almost like that could have been a touchdown. I, I thought he not. had it. I mean, you know, in the moment I thought, oh my God, he scored. Yeah. It, it was, I mean, it looked because you knew, you knew marvelous Marvin was going to have his feet in. <laughs> like he's just, he's so good at that. It, that, that play just, it just killed me. Uh, and because yeah. it felt like, it felt like Bullard went head hunting. I know he probably didn't, but you know, and I'm sounding like a sour grapes. No, but I think it was, here, I think it was a personal foul. I mean, I think the way it was, the he way got away it was with done, it and that just galled yeah. me. He got away with going head hunting on the best yeah. player on the field. Yeah. And I think honestly, I mean, you know, does he, does he do it like that against like Fleming? I don't know, maybe, but I, I, you know, guys hit harder when they know that somebody's is eating them up. And um, I think there was definitely an element to that. Now, you know, in general, again, the team, like you look at how CJ Stroud played without his number one target and with his number one target, there was definitely a change in, in how they had to approach it. I think, I mean, I know Kyle said that philosophically they didn't change it, but you know, you can't as a quarterback, you're, number one target being gone, that changes things for you, I think, in terms of how you go through progressions and, and where you are mentally and all that kind of stuff and the kind of chances you're willing to take. Um, so him being out definitely changed the tenor of the game. I mean, my biggest thing, though, still is, you know, Georgia scores 18 points in the final quarter, right? And that's, you get one stop, you win the game. Yeah. And I actually, I know some people are focusing on like Ryan Day's you know, decision-making and, and that last try, what I, that doesn't bother me at all, honestly, because you score 41 points against Georgia. All right. You've d- pretty much done your job. I mean, it, and for people giving like Noah Ruggles crap, I'm mean, giving me a break. Fifth, oh, look. Yeah. If that's you're, it. if you're, you're bagging on a dude, kid who missed a 50 yard field goal. Yeah. Come on now. I mean, it, at no, the last second right. in the, in a that's, horrible that's the part last of the field, guy to be bagging on of everybody on the field. Yeah. But that's my totally. point. That's what I'm saying. Like it's people, the recency bias is what blows my mind because it's, it's within the game. Like people are like, Oh, no Ruggles is screwing up. And Ryan Day, like, no, no, actually the people screwing up are the guys who allowed Georgia to score 40, 42 points. points. And like, yeah. and the thing is at the beginning of the game, you know, when they, they came out guns blazing, I'm like, all right, hell yeah, let's go. You know, however this turns out. But I was like, I even tweeted, I said, look, I think when they scored that first touchdown, I was like, that's great. I think they're going to need like five more of these to win, which ended up being true yeah Uh, but like how the game unfolded and what was frustrating about it is that 
they got those five, mm-hmm. you know, uh, basically. Right. And I was like, okay, well then you have a shot. And that's when the defense has to step up and, you know, I agree about the safeties. I mean, they looked lost. Like, you know, the cornerbacks, I think, were fine, but Georgia doesn't really have, like, huge threats at wide receiver. Um, It really was just trying to keep the game in front of him. And Jim Knowles, you know, (laughs) going to man, we're going to, like, a zero. Like, what are you doing, dude? You were playing zone the entire game. It was fine. And then you decide to change up. And I know there's probably, like, in-game reasons. You see something, you try to make a decision, it doesn't work out. That's fine. Um, But what's frustrating is, is that, like you have to, you just have to make one major play. And it feels like that's, you know, when you look at the failures that Ohio state has had in major games, it really does feel like sometimes it hinges on just a couple of plays where guys, they weren't maybe as focused as they should have been, or they were out of place or they fell down. And it's like, to me, that's a, that's the mental part of the game that hasn't always been there. And it's also guys just like, I don't know, maybe just not, I think the mental aspect just not being as focused, not being where they really need to be in that moment. Um, and other teams, I mean, you see how Georgia, there was zero panic in that team. They've been there, right. Yeah. They, they, they know how to win a game like that. And they just kept grinding and they never, they never got spooked. They never tried to like do something crazy. They never really changed their approach all that much. Um, and they were just confident that would get, get them to win. And, and like championship teams do that. Now, I will say that sometimes you just get got. Sometimes what you do doesn't work out as well as you thought it would. And when that happens, that's fine. Um, I just don't think Ohio State's defense in particular is to that point where it's like, you know what? We just got got. Like, no, you're actually not that good. <laughs> and that's that's what bothers see, uh, me. Now, see, here's the thing. I, I mean, I think to me, the headline of this game, I think you could take two things away from this. And this is kind of like, you know, the the, the road diverged in the woods and, and which mm-hmm. path are you going to take? I think one takeaway from this game is, you know, after the Michigan game, we all could have said Ohio State does not belong in the playoff. They got their asses kicked at well, I home. Said that. <laughs> right, right. No, no, no. But I'm saying like that was not a hot take when you said that. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah. That's not a controversial take. But this game to me, the takeaway is Ohio State belonged there. They took a defending national champion that I to me is the presumptive favorite to win it all again. Sure. To the final seconds of the ball game. They absolutely belonged in the game. They were there. They acquitted themselves well. And everything you just said about Georgia, like Ohio State never blinked. Uh, I mean, uh-huh. I, those those players, they played their tails off. For all of the questions about them being soft and not tough enough, hey, they were tough enough. They hung right there with what anybody in America would say was the toughest team in yeah. the sport, traded punch for punch for punch. Now, you could take the other tack here, which is you coughed up 42 points and 533 yards. Yeah. It's not good enough. So, I mean, I think there are two sort well, of opposite takeaways from this I game that are both equally, I, I think, are equally sure. fair takes. I don't think those things are mutually exclusive, yeah. though, because here's here's equally what fair I, here's takes. yeah here's my point with that though is that I do think they played the tails off, and I think they they were not afraid of the moment, and I think they stepped up, and and you know, especially the offensive defensive lines did really really good uh, against you know a really really talented opponent. I mean, that's really where Georgia's made the their bones is is that is those line is that line play right where they've been so good on both sides of the ball uh but that's i guess what's frustrating to me because 
it's not that the, I thought they were lazy. Like in the second half of the mission game, I thought they basically just collapsed. I, right. I thought that was a right. team. Exactly. I didn't see that against Georgia. No. What I did see against Georgia was a defense that is not good enough. And it's not that they didn't play hard. It's not that they, you know, were at, like not where they were supposed to be or whatever. It's just that they lost focus. They fell down. They just, and it's not because I think they weren't into the game or doing what they need to do or whatever. I just don't think they're, they're there. And that is the part where I was like, you know what? When when Georgia got the ball back and it's around two minutes left, I was like, they're scoring. That's it. <laughs> Ohio State is not stopping this team. Yeah. I yeah. had zero confidence in that happening. No, not I because I that. thought they were lazy or because they were out of the game, but because I just didn't have any faith in their mm-hmm. actual talent and their ability to stop Georgia from scoring a touchdown. And that's, of course, exactly what happened. The thing that bothers me the most is, is I think this team – as it stands, and maybe is it, and maybe this will apply to next year. I, I think they can do that and win against everybody, but what, maybe three, four teams in the entire sport. Well, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, seriously, the thing about this, like, no, no, you're who, right. I mean, who can yeah. do to them? You know, Michigan, obviously, Michigan obviously can do it. Uh, Georgia, I, I mean, but who else? Let's let's do a hypothetical. Ohio State wins this game. Who are you picking to to win the national championship? Ohio State, TCU. Well, I actually want to have a conversation about that. In a okay, well, too. we will. That I All think right. is going to be really interesting. Well, but. we'll do that in a minute. But I mean, I I think most people would say now. Of course, this would have been before maybe watching that Michigan game. We, yeah, we got to do it. We got to do a hypothetical on on that because that Michigan TCU game was 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 crazy. I think what I'm what I'm going at here is I'm I'm choosing the hopeful, optimistic route, and and, and that hey, you know what, the Knowles project is a rebuild. Things were really bad. When he got here, uh, I I feel like I saw marked improvements, even if the data maybe isn't there yet. I, I, I mean, feel against, like, but that's the thing against who? Like against Michigan? No. Against Georgia? No. Like they were worse in some respects. Like in, that's, in some respects. In some respects. But I I feel like that's again back to the. I don't think that was a problem with the scheme aside from the hey why didn't why didn't you just keep playing zone? Yeah. Uh, so then that's I think a valid question for Jim Knowles. I don't think this is. I don't think this game says to me. We got to fire everybody and start over again. That that where where after the Michigan loss, you know, a year ago, it was like, yeah, you got to fire everybody and start over again. This is horrible. I I don't feel that way right now. Maybe I'm wrong. In a year from well, now, I don't maybe feel that I'm, way either. Just because you gave the guy two million dollars, so well, it's like, <laughs> yeah. But I'm not I'm not a sunk cost fallacy guy who says, oh, we paid him two million dollars. We got to see this thing through. If it's that bad, it's that bad. Blow it up. Don't throw good money after bad. I don't feel that way. I I feel like. I feel like it will come with the right personnel. Uh, now I have questions about: Are those people coming in via the portal? Well, are those are those blue chip recruits? Or that's also a good question. I mean, I've got some questions. That's an excellent there. question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got some real questions there. Uh-huh. Um, now let's <laughs> let's let's finish up this let's finish up this bowl game, and then we'll move on to. Um, Maybe we'll do all, maybe we'll do ask us anything and then go into Michigan TCU and and who okay. wins this thing uh, in the national title game. Well, we can also we can also talk about our betting engine. Well, you know what? How yeah, we got to do. Let's, yeah, we got to do that too for sure. You know what? Let's let let's lead that in then right into the the Michigan TCU thing. Yeah, perfect. We... That's brilliant. Okay, so let's wrap up this this uh, Peach Bowl. I had to think which bloody bowl game they were in. <laughs> so enough Chick Fil A commercials. I, I got this down. All right, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a stat line here and you tell me which quarterback it was. Twenty. 23 of 34, 68% completion rate, passer rating 189.2, 398 yards. Was it CJ Stroud? Was it Stetson Bennett? I think that was Stetson. It was. 
Now, yeah. three touchdowns, one interception. I didn't say that because that would have been the giveaway. Right. But listen, 23, dude completed 23 of 34 for 398 yards and 189.2 passer rating, 68% completion. You know what Stroud's line was? 23 of 34, 348 yards, yep. four touchdowns, no interception, 68% complete. I mean, they had an almost identical stat line. Stetson had, uh, Bennett had had an extra 50 yards uh, in there and, and, but against the one pick. And I you mean, know what? I warned about that actually. in the, uh, the threat level Georgia that I did, a lot of people treat Stetson Bennett as this like, you know, three-legged puppy that Kirby smart found on the side of the road or something. And that dude, he's a, he's a little guy, but he is really, really good, especially like under pressure and in crunch time. He's, he's a very good quarterback. I don't think, I don't think the dude's going to be playing in the NFL, but as a college quarterback, who's, you know, like 40 years old, that guy is really good at his job. Um, and him being as good as he was, I, and it's funny too, cause he kind of does like the, the Dabo ah shucks thing, right? Yeah. Like, I yeah. can't believe it. Like, okay, you threw for 400 yards guy. Like that's, and you, you didn't have a lot of great dudes to be thrown to a lot of that, uh, win is on Stetson kicking ass and, um, you know, at a certain point, and I will say this about the defense at a certain point, you can only do so much against a really hot hand at quarterback. Um, when a guy is, is performing at that high of a level, it is, it is difficult um, to keep things in front of you still 400 yards. That's a lot of yards. It's a lot of yards. And, and I think the thing that blew my mind there was the obvious matchup of interest was best offense in the country versus the best defense in the country, right? Ohio state mm-hmm. versus Georgia. I mean, I think they were both technically number two or something like that, but best offense, in the country versus best defense in the country. But the, but the, the matchup that obviously made the game was Georgia's offense versus Ohio state's defense. And they were just yep. enough better, just enough better. Uh, because it wasn't like they were light years better. Ohio State, you know, five four hundred sixty-seven total yards to Georgia's five thirty-three. They were just enough better to get the job done. Hats off to them. Uh, but I think Ohio State acquitted itself extremely well. Uh, I walk out of this with a much different feeling than I did after the Michigan game. Uh, sure. And you know, will that carry over into a productive offseason the next year? Who stays, who goes? Lots of questions to be asked in the coming days, but you are you you have alluded to it, and so we shall go to the bet jack parlay. Hey, friends, <laughs> you know, you know what, you know what was an interesting storyline was whether or not Ohio State fans were going to be able to live bet on games at the end of that game because it crossed midnight. Uh, but we want to do the bet. If you jack had your parlay. bet in, and you had like a you had like a basically a point what, three like second two, window. Two minutes. Yeah, I mean, it was it was very. We did miss the ball drop. I don't know if you did as well, but let's do the uh, yeah. bet jack parlay again. Bet Jack, the only uh, Ohio sports book by Ohio sports fans for Ohio sports fans. As we do each week, Johnny's got a, a slate of games teed up for us that we're going to pick. And, uh, and maybe you can do like I did download the Bet Jack app. That's been a handy tool for me. Or you can go to betjack.com and uh, and participate in sports betting here in the Buckeye State. Johnny, what do you got teed up for us this week? All right, we'll start with some NFL games, uh, some some close to home NFL games. Um, and then we'll we'll go to the big one in uh, college football. So let's start here. Browns and Steelers. I know this is a, a uh, you know, a, a very personal, you know, important game, I guess, for the for both teams and especially yes. for you, Andy. It's at the Steelers. Yes. Uh, who are a three point favorite on the uh, the points. How, how do you feel about that one? How do you? Yeah, feel I mean, it's really interesting. I went into this game to this season for the Steelers with 
I, I guess zero expectations, right? You're starting a, a rookie quarterback. Uh, you just, I mean, it's been a tough road to hoe for the Steelers for a while. You know, Ben's twilight years, it, it feels mm-hmm. like a minute since they were a true championship contending team. They are not a championship contending team this year. However, comma, after watching Pittsburgh go on the road, slug it out with the Ravens in Baltimore and mm-hmm. walk away with the win in crunch time, I was seriously impressed with the moxie of the team, uh, with, with, uh, their young quarterback, Mr. Pickett. Uh, I think he has, has really grown into the role after some, some bumpy, uh, bumpy starts early on. I was very impressed with him, but they also, the thing that really gave me, uh, I think a lot of confidence going into the Browns game was how well Pittsburgh ran the ball yeah. against the Ravens. You don't Harris, run the ball Harris against the Ravens. good. He is, uh, he is good. I mean, got, and, and, and again, you know, just getting yards when you needed them, when you're like, you've got to line up. And, and when Kyle Jones was earlier talking about uh, finding a crease, you know, talking about the end Mm -hmm. of the Michigan game and and so on, like he just had that knack for finding a crease. It seemed like, and getting it done. Uh, They were, they were moving the ball well, no, not a high scoring game by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm, I'm going to take the Steelers at home. It's another must win situation for them. Uh, if they want to make it to the playoffs, there was a lot of talk about Mike Tomlin uh, never having a, a losing season. He's right at 500 right now. Uh, I think they're going to be playing like their hairs on fire for the hometown crowd. And yeah, I'm taking the Steelers for this one. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, I, you know, this is an interesting one to me because I feel like Deshaun Watson is, is kind of all over the place. Yes. Um, he had three touchdowns against uh, Washington and, and their win where they looked really good and their defense actually finally woke up for basically the first time all season. Uh, Nick Chubb looked amazing. Um, you know, this is a this is a weird one to me just because I, I think the teams are evenly matched in a lot of ways. And I think just because this is a, a Pittsburgh home game, that's why they've got that three point yeah. advantage. Oh, totally um, agree. If this was so, in Cleveland, I would have a totally different yeah. feel for it. And if I hadn't just watched that Ravens game, like if, if this had been a week ago right. and the Ravens game wasn't a thing, like, I think I probably would be, I would probably be chalking this one up for the Browns. Um, and, and, and two- also, you know, it, it just, it, Momentum's a thing, I guess, right? right? So I feel like the Steelers are going to come in playing with a lot of confidence, and 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 Cleveland should too. After that went over Washington, no, no, no doubt about it. I don't mean to talk them down. Um, when I talk about confidence and coming off a win and so on, they had a huge, huge win, much much bigger in terms of point differential, obviously. Than yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the for them, be seven and nine at this point is is kind of. I mean, I don't think people really expected them to be no. playing as well as they're playing, or or Pittsburgh for that matter. I mean, be five hundred at this point in the season is pretty. It's a big deal for that team too um you know what i actually think i'm gonna go with the browns on this one um it's not necessarily that i think talent wise there's a huge difference i mean people will look at you know the overall team here for uh for cleveland and go like wow look at that roster but honestly i think some of them are not really as good as maybe people think and some of them uh you know when you look at the the steelers i think there's a lot of talent there that people maybe have underrated a little bit um during this season i mean talk about Najee harris for example that's i think somebody that i don't think people really would have put up against some of the other uh, running backs in the the nfl so i I, you know what i'm going to go with the browns here on this one I just think that um, this is one of those situations where uh, Deshaun Watson, his experience is going to help 
about a lot. All right, last one here. This is the big one. National championship game. Georgia is a 13-point favorite over TCU. Um, does Georgia win? Do they All cover? Right. The, I'm, so this is going to be our extended talk segment on on the the national championship game because I got, yeah, all, kinds of, I got all kinds of feelings about this. Uh, number one, I think 13 is way too big. Uh, so, so I'm probably going to go with TCU, not necessarily to win. I still think Georgia wins it, but 13 points, no way. Not after I saw what they did with Michigan. And, and I got to tell you, after watching TCU versus Michigan, my confidence in Ohio state's ability to go out there and stand toe to toe to Georgia was way diminished because, you know, Michigan looked like cock of the walk versus Ohio state. Mm-hmm. And TCU didn't look like they had a whole hell of a lot of problem with them. So then I was no. like, what does this say about? Ohio State, you know, playing your transitive property games, I, I went into Ohio State, Georgia, a lot more nervous than I had been just because of, of seeing TCU take care of business against Michigan. And I mean, they didn't beat them by a thousand points or anything. Uh, but uh, like, I mean, TCU was kind of like the, uh, you know, none of the above <laughs> choice to go into the playoff, right? Who who were people least excited about of the four teams in the playoff? It's TCU. Yeah. The other three are blue bloods who you expect to be there. Uh, TCU is, you know, this little private school from Texas. Who cares? They're, they're, you know, number three in the state if you were looking at where the big money is and so on and so forth, right? So uh, that really gave me pause. And so I went back to the betting line. Uh, I don't expect TCU to come in and upset the dogs by any stretch of the imagination, but I think they'll absolutely cover 13 points. I think they'll cover 13 points too. I don't think they win either, but um, the, the most interesting thing about that game, there were a couple, there are a lot of actually interesting things about that game. First of all, JJ McCarthy did some really good. Th- I mean, he had over 340 yards passing. He also had, you know, 50, I think it was like 58%. Uh, completion percentage which is about right for him that's that seems to be a sweet spot like between 55 and 60 percent it's not going to be a hyper accurate guy max duggan was really good um like extending plays doing things with his feet some really critical uh you know long bombs that he hit on otherwise not very good under 50 no. percent pass 14 to 29 for 225 yeah, yards two interceptions two, two touchdowns versus two picks here's what i think is really fascinating right this is this is the thing about this game that and, and really i think it's the reason why tcu won they ran for 263 yards against yeah. michigan yeah that that's a team mind. that's a michigan team that does not allow that to happen to them that is not some like whatever else you want to say about their offense or defense, whatever their identity is built around two things, running the ball and stopping the run. Yep. That's it. That's, that's really it. Like they can pass the ball a little bit and they, you know, they like using their, their tight ends and trying to whatever it really is running the ball and stopping the run. And they, they were okay running the ball. I mean, Donovan Edwards had over a hundred and, you know, almost 120 yards rushing and about, you know, 5.2 per carry. That's great. Uh, but for Dave Ricardo to come out and rush for yards. 8. 8.8 yards per carry. I mean, yeah, he had that, that huge long run, but like, you know, Duggan was out there making things happen with his feet. Andre Miller, like Andre Miller uh, had what? 57 yards there. Yeah. I'm looking at the box score. They ran for a lot against Michigan. And I don't think I, that really, I think put Michigan back on their heels. Um, 
they really only made that game as close as it was because they were connecting on some long, like some long plays. They don't do that. I mean, that's a blowout um, because they did. They were just not able to stop TCU. It, it's and, crazy when you look at the stat lines, though, because if you just looked at the box scores, mm-hmm. I mean, if you just looked at the stats, Michigan uh, total yards, they they had 40 additional total yards. Uh, yards per play were the same for both teams, seven yards per play. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michigan had 25 first downs to TCU's 19. You look at third down efficiency. Neither team was very good on third down. Michigan was only three of 13, um, which was you know, pretty terrible. And they were 0 for 2 on fourth down where, but TCU was only eight of 16. I mean, they were 50% on third down. I, guess, I mean, I guess that's okay. Um, you know, they, they basically punted the same number of times, five to six, uh, penalties. TCU had a lot more penalties, seven penalties for 85 yards versus five for 28 for Michigan. Both teams lost a, a fumble and both, th- both teams threw two picks, but well, if you and- look, I mean, it was, it was interesting because Michigan's passing game, 342 yards, uh, you know, they were much more effective through the air. But it also came with say. two pick sixes. But though, it came right? with those two pick sixes. Exactly right. right. Like it's it's why I mean it's just really interesting. And and this again is why, like I I expect TCU. I mean, if you compare TCU to Ohio State again, maybe they were I, I maybe they were were they better defensively? No, they gave up 528 yards uh, against Michigan. And and I would be one who would say Georgia's offense is better than Michigan's offense. Yeah. After watching what they did to Ohio State there, uh, on the other hand, well, it depends. Know, Michigan's, yeah, Michigan's defense, you would have said prior to this game, would have been would have been the best defense that TCU'd seen all year. Didn't seem yep. to slow them down any. <laughs> so, no. I, you know, what takeaways you take away from this game? I mean, I feel like if I'm Georgia, I go in feeling supremely confident. If I'm TCU, though, I go in feeling pretty confident too. I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know. And especially if you're TCU's defense, I mean, yeah, they gave up, up, you know, 39 points in the second half, but in that first half, this is how Michigan's, this is how Michigan's uh, offense went in the first half turnover on downs, pick six punt field goal, fumble, punt, punt, end of half. Like that, that is something else, especially against the team where you're basically like, well, I mean, I think they got a, a field goal at the end of the half. They did. Uh, they it, did. Was, they yeah, right. it was the Jake Moody 59 yard. Yeah, that's right. Jake Moody going out there and proving he's the best player in, in college football. Um, but you go out there and, and you really establish that tone early. And that's how you, that's how you win that game. Um, you know, the pick sixes were, were huge, but honestly, it, it's funny because, you know, I just wanted Michigan to lose. I will also say that I thoroughly enjoyed that game. That's the other thing about it. Like, you know, especially that second half. I mean, I'm I'm trying to let's do the quick math here. Michigan had 39 points in the second half. TCU had 30. So almost 70 points scored in one half of football. Uh 44 alone <laughs> in the third quarter. Yeah, That's, there were all that kinds was of a fun game. broken in that second half. That but. was an interesting fun entertaining game and um i don't well, know if tcu has it in them again against georgia but you know they've who knows i mean they, they came out punching and uh that's really all you can you know ask from these games and these teams um and really what was the most entertaining semifinal probably ever i guess when you combine the two games oh uh, i mean this was uh, yeah absolutely i think best set of and, and bowl games this season in general have been excellent compared to to most years but this was the most most entertaining absolutely best set of 
semifinal games in a playoff uh i that that i can think of there really, yeah. you've had you've had good games before like right the first first year out ohio state versus alabama that was a great game but the other side of that playoff was not entertaining at all uh so you know you've you've had that where you've had good games but you've had usually one or the other that was just an absolute blowout snooze fest whatever uh they the other thing that gets really interesting in looking at that number one if michigan figured out how to score in the first half man they'd be really something uh i guess they just didn't do it all year long the the other thing i take you know to make everything back about ohio state tcu goes into the half with a 21 to 6 lead and that really ended up being the difference as you pointed out because michigan outscored them by nine in the in the second half Think about Ohio State was up by what twenty one points at one point mm. over Georgia. You know, if they had been able to hold on to same man one some stop. of that margin, you know, God, yeah. Just, and know. and that's the thing, man. And, and when we said that, I was talking about this. I was saying this before we started recording. You don't get these kind of opportunities very often. Like I know, I know people think that Ohio State does because they've been so good in the past twenty years. But like, you are in a situation and where you really don't have a good defense and you're somehow hanging in there against the defending national champions. If you win that game, you don't have to play Michigan again. You don't have to play a team that like psychologically just beat the crap out of you. You get to play a team that you probably have a pretty good advantage against, especially, especially in the passing game, which you are really good at. So the missed opportunity here. It's not like I thought this was some all-time great OSU team that would go out and beat all comers, and it's sad that they lost, but they gave. No, no, no. This is a team that really backed into the playoff, got a golden opportunity to make this thing happen, and you were basically one defensive stop away from getting an incredibly favorable national championship matchup. And and like I said, national championships don't grow on trees. Like Ohio State's had two in the past twenty years. That's fun. Before that, they had to wait 25 years just to get one. Um, that's that's how it works sometimes in college football. And I would love to believe that Ohio State's going to be back there every single year, you know, from now on. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that. I don't know what Ohio State's going to look like. Georgia looked like trash before, or not Georgia, Alabama looked like trash before Nick Saban showed up in the mid 2000s. Yeah. All right. Well, if if things go south for Ohio State, it could be a while before you find a Nick Saban. Um, so it, you got to You got to convert. You got to take advantage of the chances when you get them. And, uh, this, I don't know. It just feels like a huge missed opportunity for Ohio state. This doesn't feel like it doesn't, let me put it this way. It doesn't feel like 2019, right. Where they were running into a buzzsaw, no matter who they played and how it was going to work out. This feels really like a team that by hook or by crook, they could have gotten the championship and, uh, they just, they missed and it, it sucks. It really, really sucks. Agreed. It does. And it's going to bother me for a long, long, long time. Uh, but that's college football. And this has been the bet Jack part. Okay. High State's a basketball school. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about that. Maybe, uh, maybe in the coming weeks for sure, for sure. Uh, thank you for being a part of the bet jet bet Jack parlay. Again, you can download the bet Jack app or go to betjack.com, the Ohio sports book or Ohio sports fans by Ohio sports fans. You know, Johnny, one other thing we need to do before we put this horse back in the barn, and that is ask yeah, us ask anything. Us anything. Yeah. Long-running segment of the program that we all know and love, where you can ask us literally anything. What's in the mailbag this week, my friend? 
right, we got a couple here. Um, so remind you that if you want to ask us literally anything, you can send questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com. Uh, this one's from Kevin who says, guys, do you think bulls need mascots? <laughs> Cause I believe, I believe last week we spent some time trashing yeah. on Beach Bulls mascot. I, I, I think we covered this in yeah. depth. Uh, he, by the way, Kevin says, I don't, it's all about the money. I agree. I don't know what kind of money. Bulls yeah, are I mean, mommy, yeah my thing, I, I don't think it's about the money other than because, uh, because I'm totally buying into Johnny's conspiracy theory that bulls are all about laundering money. That yeah. uh, somehow we needed to spend the Peach Bowl in particular needed to spend a little extra cash, so we got fluff face, uh, whatever. What was it? Huddles, huddles, yes. huddles, yes, huddles. huddles. I am huddles costume fine. cost thirty thousand yeah. dollars. You know what it could? You know probably what it was uh, is if we went if we if you follow the money, the costume designer or whatever marketing firm came up with huddles uh, was the cousin of somebody's husband's wife who is on the board. Yeah, of And they were contracted for, for like $800,000. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just saying, follow the money. Um, the alternative money. question. I, now, now, I mean, I would say, uh, I'm perfectly fine if the orange bowl wants to have a giant orange with legs, like yeah. that's fine, but coming up with some BS huddles. Well, no, I just love that. They, they, wrote a 700 word backstory oh jesus that's like the... i it took me like 20 minutes to read that thing yeah, I, it did. I, I cut out like two-thirds of it yep um alternative question <laughs> well here's the alternative question from kevin how do you think conference realignment will affect the bulls i actually that's a really good question i i don't think it will affect it that much because i think what will happen instead is that you'll have teams that i mean if you think about it you look from year to year you have teams that gravitate towards these bulls anyway and i think what will happen is that they preserve this stuff uh, assuming they exist outside of the playoff which of course is expanding um those teams those connections will kind of remain um, and they'll still want to kind of invite them and whatnot. Cause I don't, I don't think anybody really cares about like making sure that sec five is playing big 10 six. Like, I don't think that's something that people really, uh, you know, I, I think they'll, they'll happily blow those things up if it's not profitable and they'll just kind of find, you know, the best teams to fit wherever they can get them. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think as these things have, have really become just ginormous broadcast you know, they're so inextricably linked with ESPN for the most part, or, or just, you know, the, 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 the TV, it's gotta be good TV. Right. And so we look at this yeah, year yeah. and say, this right. has been a really great bull slate. Um, I, I think one college football is a product. It feels like was, was better this year. Like there was some really good football to watch this year. Um, it hasn't always been that way in recent years. It feels like, you know, in a lot of ways, and maybe it is NIL and the portal and so on. There just, there were a lot of interesting things happen. Uh, but I think the impetus will be to put the best product on TV yeah. for you to watch, not, and, and the other thing too, I mean, it's just, it was really interesting to me that as we've been talking about, oh, bowls are dead, bowls are dead, bowls are dead. And all of a sudden it was really entertaining this season. So yeah, good, good season, who good, knows? uh, good, good bowl season in general. Um, I, the other thing that I would add though, too, um, is that I don't know how many of these bowls will survive you know what i mean in this, yeah, yeah, yeah. In this new kind of format it's interesting to me to think about like okay well you've got this expanded playoff format um you're gonna have a lot more games the bowls are gonna be part of it i'm sure they're gonna sponsor and brand all of them um if you're like you know the verbo memphis points at a gasper you know whatever 
I feel like it's gonna be a little harder to hang on. Um, and you would you saw some of the attendance at some of these games, which again I have to point out seems oddly inflated compared to what you see on television. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> some of these games had like no, I mean, literally nobody in the stands. Like it was crazy. I mean, seriously, like in the hundreds in some of these. So I don't know. It's just interesting to me. Um, this next one here, this is from our good friend Alvin, who wants to know uh, uh, any resolutions this year. Happy New Year. Uh, I don't have anything, frankly. Uh, I And I will say I'm not a big New Year's resolution guy anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I really don't have any. I 2022 was a really good year uh, in a lot of ways for, for our family. We had a great year showing the dogs. Our, our daughter's doing fantastic in school. I've had a good year professionally. Um, so no, I, I don't, I don't, do you do the resolution thing? I, it's not really been a thing I've done a bunch. Not really. Um, I think if you're going to try to, uh, like, you know, make changes, you have to develop habits and, you know, you can do that via resolution. I think some, you know, if that's your thing, that's fine. But for me, it's like, I gotta, I gotta, it's a longer term thing. I gotta set it up over time and make sure the conditions are right for me to be able to do something. So to say like, it starts now, that's kind of a, that doesn't really work with me mentally. I will say that this year, I mean, one thing I'm going to try to make an effort with, and, you know, we got a toddler, right? And, you know, running around yeah. and just causing <laughs> havoc. Uh, just trying to keep some semblance of a clean house. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it may or may not happen, but, yeah, but that's, hard. You know, that's it's something it's something I'm going to try to, you know, do you know my wife does, you know, my wife does an awesome job. She She's incredible at taking care of things like that. But I got to I got to make sure that I don't slip. So I'm going to try to stay on top of that, I think. Yeah, I definitely intend to spend some time this week cleaning my office here at the house. Um, uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm one of these guys that maybe files by pile. <laughs> yeah, not yeah. so much everything, not so much everything, but like on my desk, there are definite piles that need to go away. Uh, so yeah, that's that's a good one. I, I don't know if that's a resolution in my case so much as it's just on my to do list. Sure. Uh, yeah. You know, you know. yeah, it's a good, that's a good, I think that's a good thing to, to try to tackle. Um, last one here, this is from uh, Buckeye Chief. I think this is on Twitter. Is that right? No, it's just that. a, he's sliding into my DMs. Buckeye Chief is, is one of our mods at the site and, and uh, one of our, one of our loyalist listeners. So he, he knows how to hit me up uh, in, in real life and uh, slid that one into my DMs. All right, well, let's talk about this then. So with how the season's played out, specifically with the number of non-concussion injuries and, I guess, concussion injuries, uh, is it time for Coach Mick to go? Obviously, defense needs work, but when you're down TE1, running backs one through four, and wide receiver one, at a minimum, something has to give. What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't – I'm not putting this on Coach Mick, and I say that because Mick's been here a long time, and I think if it was a problem with his system – it would have shown up before the last year or two. I yeah. will say that I I really throughout the season thought to myself, why is this Ohio State team so injured? Because it felt like, and and look, when you talk about injuries, you know, people automatically go to like, oh, it's excuses, it's this, it's that, the other thing uh, that you're making excuses for the team, and and definitely we're not uh, making excuses for the team. We've been pretty good critics of the team, I think, throughout the mm-hmm. the season. The thing that kept jumping into my mind was the Joey Boza campaign at the NFL level that artificial turf is hard on football players. Mm -hmm. And you know what Ohio state got this year? Brand new new turf. turf. Is there a relation? Is there causation? Is this just correlation? I don't know. I don't know enough about the physics involved, but 
I'll be honest, that's the very first thing I thought about was, hmm, I don't, is there anything to this? Right. And I don't think that, uh, that Mariotti has a whole lot to do with like injuries and things. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I I definitely don't think it's a coach Mick thing. No, I don't think so either. And I think it's, it's more just a, you know, a a bad timing fluky kind of thing. It sucks, but I don't think any of those things that happened were really a result of him doing something or not doing something. It just, it just sucks. Um, cause a lot of it too was like, like, you know, guys with nagging injury, you know what I mean? Like it's stuff where somebody has a hamstring problem, you get JSN, like, I don't know what you do about that. I mean, it, it happens a lot and it yeah. sucks, but, and it sucks that it happens to your, your best wide receiver at the time. Um, but it's not, I really don't think it's a result of conditioning or anything like that. We did actually have one on Twitter. I want to address this real quick. So this is from Joe who said if TCU wins and oh, OSU wins, yeah, so obviously Ohio State did not win. Uh, but had Ohio State beat uh, TCU in a hypothetical national championship game, how would we feel about never beating Michigan this year? And that was actually something where we got into a very contentious argument on, uh, I guess it wasn't really quite the same thing, but we talked about a little on Slack. And, um, you know, if Ohio State beats TCU and doesn't beat Michigan, I don't care. <laughs> Like I give me the national championship yeah. 1000 times out of 1000 times. If they lose to Michigan every year, I could not care less as long as they won a national championship. Now, granted, I think after a while that would get old because Michigan would start saying we're the real national champions, but uh, they wouldn't be Ohio state would be. And yeah, I would be totally cool with it. Yeah. I, I think they're Ohio state's definitely got to exercise some demons uh, relative to that team up North, but you know, I, I think about that 20 year period where Ohio state was pretty much winning every year. And it really mm-hmm. wasn't that big of a question who was going to win. And there was maybe one competitive game per decade. And there were a lot of us who were saying, man, you know, it takes a little something off the rivalry when you know, which size you, you, there was sort of this like nostalgia for the 10 year war. And here you are right. <laughs> where you're, you're back on the other side of that. I, I think as long as, uh, Harbaugh's there. The rivalry can be competitive. Uh, I think people need to remember, of course, it took him quite a few years to get to this point. Like, you know, we can focus on the Ryan Day stats and okay, now he's, uh, you got a losing record against Michigan and that's not great. And he's lost two in a row here and so on and so forth. But, you know, Harbaugh didn't walk in day one and all of a sudden it was, he was, he was slaying the Buckeyes. He's still on the wrong side of the ledger there too. Uh, he's just got his team back into contention, which, you know, maybe segues into the best place to uh, wrap up this episode. The other big storyline coming out late on Monday, Johnny, was uh, gentleman Jim Harbaugh heading back to the National Football League. Is is Harbaugh to the NFL just his agent out there getting him more money? Or do you think this guy really, really, really wants to get the hell out of college football if he can? Um, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I, I think if he got the right situation and he felt really comfortable and they threw a crap ton of money at him, I think he'd be okay with leaving Michigan. I don't think he's, he really wants a Super Bowl more than he wants a college football national championship. Let me put it that way. That That's how I feel about the situation. However, I don't think he's going, I guess I, what I think is happening is that he wants a Super Bowl ring, right? Like, I think that's his, his mountaintop. I think as as an individual, that's what he really, really wants in his career. However, he's not going to blow up a chance at a college football playoff championship to try to chase 
a Super Bowl ring with a crappy team. So I don't think he wants to make any kind of um, like, he, I don't think he wants to go to rebuilding project. I don't think he wants to, you know, spend five years at the bottom of a division and, and try to work his way up. I think he wants to get into a situation that he really, really likes. And, you know, he has options because right now he is a really hot coaching commodity. I think people really like what he's done with Michigan at this point. Um, and also the the time constraints of being a college football coach, it's just getting harder and harder every year. So people are like, yeah, he's just doing this to get a raise. And maybe that that's probably part of it. I think you'd be happy to get a raise from Michigan. Um, I also I mean, think, I think he's earned it. Yeah, yeah, I do too. But that's the thing. Like, I, I think he could go either way. And that's what makes it, I think that's what's got to make it scary for Michigan because I don't think this guy has an agenda. I, I think he's really just looking for the best possible situation. And if he finds it in the NFL in the next couple of months, then I think he'd go to the NFL. And if he find, you know, decides that staying with Michigan is still the best, then he'll, he'll do that too. Um, it definitely feels like he's an NFL committed, guy. Is my point. And, it, and I, I mean, it definitely feels like he's an NFL guy in that, you know, I've sort of always assumed he would end up back in the league at some point. Yeah. I didn't see him being, you know, a Shem Buckler who was here till, till he hangs up the whistle. Uh, but at the same time, it felt like after last season's fiasco that maybe the ship had sailed. And yet, <laughs> well, he we thought, are. I mean, Harbaugh thought he was going to be the next Minnesota Vikings head coach. He, really that, he went into that thing thinking that was it, that, that he had that job. And when they didn't extend it to him, he was like, no, no, no. I love Michigan. I'm here forever. Um, which, you know, something all coaches always say, but like that, that, I guess my point is that interest was genuine. And I don't think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of wishful thinking Michigan fans who are like, no, well, it's the same thing. You know, he's just, he's just flirting for money. And like, ah, I don't think so. I think, I think if he found a situation that he really liked, he would go. And I he was offered the, the job. I mean, the best possible scenario here would be him to bolt to the NFL because you know, Michigan gets back to the mountaintop of, of, uh, <laughs> beating Ohio state, but then immediately, you know, loses their bowl game and loses their head coach. Uh, yeah, that'd be wild. That'd be wild. And, and, and something, honestly, here's the other thing. I mean, Michigan, honestly, I, I think they're as good as they are because they've really done a great job at both building the team through the transfer portal, which they've done an incredible job over the past two seasons. I mean, if you look at some of their transfer uh, portal gets this past season, I mean, holy crap, they're, they're going to be really good, especially on the lines again. Um, but they've also done a really good job at picking assistant coaches. And so maybe, you know what, honestly, as, as much as I would like them to be screwed without Harbaugh, I think they could, they could promote from within on the short term. And I think they would be okay in the long term. Um, I don't think they would completely fall apart without the dude is what I'm saying. Um, they've, they've got a lot of, they previously did not have this. And now I think they have a lot of in, institutional depth at the coaching that they just didn't have, you know, three or four years ago. So I, I think they'll, it'll help them weather that kind of storm if that does happen. You know, you mentioned, and this is where we're going to wrap this up because I don't want to wrap up talking about Michigan, but sure. as we finish this, uh, this post bowl game episode, of the Dubcast, you mentioned Michigan doing a really good job of farming the portal. We talked with Kyle Jones about TCU and how good their defense got in a hurry because of the portal. Should I have any kind of confidence that Ohio State is going to go out and fix its defense through the portal anytime no. soon? <laughs> what the heck no. is going on? Why is everybody's team getting better because of the portal but mine? <laughs> yeah, no. I, I mean, I just... 
I don't think that's how Ryan Day really wants to build the team, um, which is a different philosophy. And I don't think it's necessarily bad. I think if you you uh, you scout guys, you vet guys really well in recruiting, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to get this dude for two or three years. And we're going to make him something really good, as opposed to a guy in the portal who may not mesh well or may not be that great. You know, it's kind of a crapshoot because um, there are a lot of teams who've tried to do it and it hasn't worked out super hot. Um, I don't know. Philosophically, I just don't think that's where they're at. Uh, but I also feel like they're going to have to get there because <laughs> there, there's a lot of holes they're going to need to fill defensively next year. Um, so we'll see how that goes. All right. That's where we're going to leave it, friends. Uh, next week, we'll be back to talk about the uh, national championship game. We'll also more likely, more likely than not, spend a lot of time talking about basketball. Ohio State. Purdue uh, coming up. Yeah, they got a big one coming up this week. We're really excited about that because, uh, believe it or not, some people who know stuff about basketball think the Buckeyes have a legit shot in that one. So we didn't talk about it. They looked really good against Northwest. They looked really Last great night. against Northwest. They were sick. It was a fantastic game. I'm excited to get into hoop season. We'll have that and more this time next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'm Andy. I'm Johnny. Thanks for joining us on the 11th Dubcast.